Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Sanders Facts, what is happening, y'all? Welcome, Ed, to the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We have got a huge podcast this week. It is episode 40. The big 4-0 of the Xander's Facts Podcast here on Wednesday, November 10th. Thank you all for listening after our week off. We are back this week. Xander's Facts is ready to roll. We have got a ton to talk about this week, including college basketball. It starts this week. It's actually already started But don't worry, I'm going to catch you all up. Plus, we've got election results from last week that we got to dive deep into. Talk about all that and more in just a minute. But first, if you all like listening to Xander's Facts Podcast, then you might want to support the Xander's Facts Podcast. Click that follow button, download, rate, review, do all those. Go on social media, Xander's Facts, Xander with a Z. And most importantly, tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts Podcast. Spreading the facts is what we call it around here. Tell all your friends. Xander's Facts Podcast podcast we have got a ton to talk about but first we're gonna start with ya boy aaron Rodgers. disgusting he probably shouldn't be your boy anymore if he still is your boy because he's a bad boy why is aaron Rodgers a bad boy well we're gonna talk about it because clearly he's got some issues with him let's just break down this whole saga thing that's going on with aaron Rodgers because it's a mess so wednesday morning wednesday of last week the week with no Sanders facts. I know. We're back. Wednesday morning of last week, we learned that Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, had tested positive for COVID, and it was soon learned that he would have to quarantine 10 days as per NFL guidelines because he is considered unvaccinated. But wait, I thought he was vaccinated. Well, back on August 26th, Rodgers was asked if he was vaccinated. And he said this. Yeah, I've been immunized. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of conversation around it, around the league, and a lot of guys who have made statements and not made statements, owners who made statements. Um, you know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. So apparently it turns out immunized and vaccinated are two totally different things. And we should all know that. And because we don't know that, we're stupid. At least that's what Aaron Rodgers thinks. Plus, Rodgers has not been following NFL protocols for unvaccinated players, like wearing masks in indoor team facilities. He has not been doing that at times. Terrible. So, Rodgers broke his silence on Friday by going on the Pat McAfee show to defend himself from the, quote, woke mob, unquote, of which he is, quote, in the crosshairs right now, unquote. Oh my gosh, Aaron, the woke mob is coming after you. It's so terrible. So sad. Oh boy. He went 20 straight minutes without being interrupted of just yammering on and on and on. And if you didn't listen to it, that's okay, because I did. And I'm going to give you everything. He had to say, or at least the basics of it. So see if you can find a pattern here in all the things that he's saying. So first off, he said that he was, quote, not some sort of anti-vax flat earther. I'm somebody who's a critical thinker, unquote. Oh, a critical thinker. And when looking at the vaccines, quote, for me, it involved a lot of study, unquote. So basically, 
He did his own research. Whoops. And you all know the people who are doing their own research. Duh, not turning out so well. So, Rogers said that while he was doing his own research, he discovered that he was allergic to an ingredient in the mRNA in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Of course, he did not name the ingredient. And then said that he would not take the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of the clotting issues that made it become pulled in April, of course, those issues only affected about seven women out of millions and millions who have taken the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, so that didn't make any sense. And then Rogers went on to say that he researched and underwent an immunization protocol. He did not elaborate on that protocol thing. That took multiple months and was then angry at the NFL when the NFL considered him unvaccinated. And he said that while he was petitioning the NFL to not place him in the unvaccinated category, that he was told by a league doctor that, quote, it's impossible for a vaccinated person to get COVID or spread COVID, unquote, which is not true. He said he knew that was false, and it is false. And the league then came out with a statement which said, quote, no doctor from the league or the joint NFL-NFLPA infectious disease consultants communicated with the player. If they had, they certainly would have never said anything like that, unquote. So apparently Rogers is continuing to lie. He said his decision to immunize himself was, quote, in my best interest, unquote. He then went on to say that, quote, the next great chapter in my life, I believe, is being a father. To my knowledge, there's been zero long-term studies around sterility or fertility issues around the vaccines, unquote. Of course, the CDC has said and continues to say that, quote, COVID-19 vaccination is recommended for everyone 12 years of age and older, including people who are trying to get pregnant now or might become pregnant in the future, as well as their partners. Professional medical organizations serving people of reproductive age, including adolescents, emphasize that there is no evidence that COVID-19 vaccine causes a loss of fertility. These organizations also recommend COVID-19 vaccination for people who may consider getting pregnant in the future. Professional societies for male reproduction recommend that men who want to have babies in the future be offered COVID-19 vaccine. There is no evidence that vaccines, including COVID-19 vaccines, cause male fertility problems, unquote. So, there is no evidence vaccines cause sterility or fertility issues, as others have tried to mention as well. Like, there was an ESPN sideline reporter who quit her job because she wouldn't get the vaccine because apparently she wants to get pregnant, but she's worried about all this COVID thing, and apparently someone told her not to take the vaccine because it would affect with her fertility issues. But that's not the case. These are mice for that sick burn. Even though there have been no long-term studies, which is true, there's also no evidence that the vaccines cause sterility or fertility issues. Rogers then goes on about protocols and says, quote, there haven't been any studies about the efficacy of masks for workouts or the higher levels of CO2 inhaled during workouts and how that affects performance and body function, unquote. Actually, there have. Oops. The Mayo Health Clinic says, quote, new research has shown that your heart rate, respiratory rate, blood pressure, oxygen level, and time of exhaustion are not significantly affected by wearing a mask during moderate to strenuous aerobic physical activity, unquote. So, Rogers had to wear a mask because of the protocols, because he is unvaccinated, and he was worried about inhaling carbon dioxide. Of course, we find out that he has no reason to worry. He then said, quote, I just want to say, you know, that this is what the media has been trying to do. They're trying to shame and out and cancel all of us non-vaccinated people. Call us selfish. 
That's the propaganda line now, too. You're selfish for making a decision that's in the best interests of your body. And I've already spelled out, I shouldn't have to. Then he says, what about my body, my choice? Uh Uh-oh. Oh. He pulled out the my body, my choice line. Uh Uh-oh. Well, Aaron. Here it comes. When people use that argument for an abortion, they're saying that because it is their body. And it should be their choice. But when you're getting a COVID-19 vaccine, which then affects others around you, Because if you do not get the COVID-19 vaccine, you have a higher risk of spreading, transmitting the virus to others, including vaccinated people, then it no longer becomes your body or your choice. Okay? Rogers then said, quote, so this idea that it's a pandemic of the unvaxxed is just a total lie, unquote, saying that he probably got COVID from a vaccinated individual, saying that, quote, There's been dozens of individuals that work at the facility that are vaxxed that tested positive, unquote. Even though the Packers' COVID list this season has only seen eight names, seven players, and one coach, he went on, quote, if the vaccine is so great, then how come people are still getting COVID and spreading COVID and unfortunately dying from COVID? If the vaccine is so safe, then how come the manufacturers of the vaccine have full immunity, unquote? People are getting COVID, Aaron, because there are still too many people unvaccinated. And the vast, 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 vast majority of people who are dying of COVID right now and are in the hospital are unvaccinated. It's a fact. So there you go. You're extremely more likely to be hospitalized or die with COVID if you are unvaccinated. Rogers then went on. Oh gosh. Quote, I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan, after he got COVID. And I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended in his podcast and on the phone to me, unquote. He says, quote, I've been taking monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin C and D, hydroxychloroquine, and I feel pretty incredible. Wow, look at that. Rogers has taken all those and he feels pretty incredible. How about that? Rogers then claimed that the left... Democrats were all anti-vaccine in 2020 while Trump was president, and then that flipped after Biden's election, a claim to which he has absolutely no evidence. And I can say that I probably would have gotten the vaccine even if Trump would have won a second term. How about that? Rogers continues saying, quote, there's a lot to natural immunity, unquote. Then, quote, if you've gotten COVID and recovered from it, that's the best boost to immunity that we can have, unquote. And if that were so then how come people are getting COVID multiple times? So you probably need to get the vaccine, even if you've had COVID. He also said that they brought people in to the team to shame the team during training camps because the team had low vaccination rates. And then, finally, Rogers ended his charade by saying, quote, I feel really good, and if this were the flu, there's no reason I wouldn't play on Sunday, unquote. He then ended the interview by comparing himself to Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, you heard that right, saying, quote, The great MLK said you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense, unquote. Something that Kyrie Irving has also said. So apparently Aaron Rodgers is now Martin Luther King Jr. We must all bow at the altar to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> That's the iter. What? There is just so much there, and that doesn't even get into the severity 
of his actions. So he may say that he is no anti-vaxxer flat earther. But this man is an anti-vaxxer. He said every single line that a classic anti-vaxxer say. He probably got COVID, found out about it on Wednesday, and then said, oh crap, what am I going to say? So he's planning for this interview on Friday, and he's like, all right, what do I got to write down? How about uh, fertility issues, and I'm allergic to the vaccines, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and the NFL, and freedom, and tyranny, and can you believe the left, and cancel culture, and the woke mob, oh, he wrote it all down, and then he's just spewed it in a 20-minute interview. I mean, <laughs> it was insane. All of the points that Rogers pointed out were ones that we have heard from others who have expressed anti-vaccine sentiments, but that's all that. But the worst part is that he lied. He said back in August he was immunized when he was asked if he was vaccinated. And then he said, I'm not going to judge the people who are non-vaccinated. Yikes. He lied. But he doesn't think he lied because he's like, well, you should have known the difference. Like, what are you talking about? Because he did some stupid immunization process that doesn't even help, doesn't even make any sense. And he still got COVID anyway. So clearly it didn't work. So he wasn't wearing masks when he was supposed to be, so he endangered his teammates, he endangered members of the Packers organization, he probably endangered members of other teams, and he endangered media members when he was supposed to be wearing a mask in the press rooms with all the media members, and he wasn't doing it. So this is worse than any typical anti-vaxxer, you know, like Kyrie Irving or whatever, because at least to our knowledge, they didn't endanger any other people that we know of. Okay, they might have. But Rogers knew he wasn't vaccinated. The Packers knew he wasn't vaccinated. And they did not do anything about it when he continued to break COVID protocol. So, like, what is seriously wrong with this man? He got some issues. I guess we should have known because Rogers has been estranged from his family for years. And while that process was going on a couple years ago, the public was all thinking, Rogers' family's crazy. Oh my gosh, Aaron, you got to get out of there. That people are crazy. Turns out, he might be the crazy one. And yet, Rogers is only facing a fine, not a suspension, for all of this, even though he broke NFL protocols for unvaccinated players and the Packers knew it and didn't do anything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So he's not going to get punished. Very interesting. The NFL's really going to drop the ball on this one. Seriously. There's anti-vaxxers. There's your Kirk Cousins and your Lamar Jacksons who haven't gotten the vaccine. They wear the mask. Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated. He didn't wear the mask. He thought he was above everyone else. That's, that's selfish. He said, you're calling us selfish. That's terrible. How could you do that? It is selfish. Look up the definition of selfish, and you'll see Aaron Rodgers' picture, because he was just selfish. Thanks goodness that's over. Uh, Stop that rant, because that's just too much. But that's what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. He did not play on Sunday, and the Packers lost to the Chiefs. By the way, we're not doing football picks on this podcast like last week, because last week we posted them on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the Xander's facts. So... 
If you want to get your football picks for college and pros and figure out how I did last week, then go on Xander's Facts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You will find Xander's Facts football picks, and we're trying to figure out other ways we can get those to you very shortly. We're in the next few weeks. We're going to have some other Xander's Facts stuff. We'll give you that information in the next few weeks. But let's transition over to a quick politics recap from last week. The election elections that occurred across the country, including in Virginia, where it was the Republicans who took a clean sweep, taking the top three executive positions and winning control of the state's House of Delegates. It was a red wave last week in Virginia, which, listen, people. There's a lot of people to blame. I know there's a lot of people on this podcast who are angry. Glad yuck, it's going to be governor. It's going to be terrible. Oh, my gosh. We'll see about Glenjamin. Who? But a lot of people are out there blaming right now all the Democrats, and they're all whining. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? Well, I got people to blame, too, because the Republicans ran a very good campaign, which basically was based on lies because they told everyone critical race theory is going to destroy your children and it's being taught in schools. It's not being taught in schools, but all the parents said, oh my God, critical race theory. And then Terry said that stupid thing about parents not being able to have a say in what should be taught, which was a terrible thing to say. He should never have said that. If he had a competent campaign, he never would have said that. And then he would have taken it back. He never took it back. That's one of the things. Terry McAuliffe ran a horrible, terrible, awful campaign in Virginia. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, because he ran in 2013, and he won in a year that wasn't good for Democrats. And now, in 2021, he runs an incompetent campaign, where he says things like that. And his main message was Trump. When people are sick of Trump, it has been five straight years of Trump, 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 Trump. No one cares anymore. We got rid of him. Hopefully forever. But he might come back. And if he does, then that's going to be another issue. But for now, he's not running. It was Glenn Youngkin. And Youngkin did a pretty good job of distancing himself from Trump. Well, despite, you know, you heard that video from two weeks ago in which he said Donald Trump was part of the reason why he was running. So he did a pretty good job of getting all the MAGAites out to the polls. And then he did a pretty good job of getting moderates to vote for him. A lot of suburbanites who flipped to the Democrats in recent years because of Trump, who flipped back over to Yunkin. A lot of that was education nonsense, which is not true. And people are going to find that out. and They're going to be like, oh, man, why do we vote for this guy? They'll, well, they'll figure that out. And all those people said, well, he's not really too Trumpy, so I guess we'll vote for him. So he did a pretty good job, and, tr- and Terry just kept yelling, Trump, 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 Trump. They wasted flyers, campaign ads on the TV, on the YouTube, all on Glenn Youngkin is Donald Trump. And people were like, what are you going to do for me, Terry? And he had plans. Like, I think in my podcast two weeks ago, I told you about more of the plans that Terry had than Terry said himself the entire campaign. Because he was just talking about Trump. Like, seriously. If he had not, and he actually told people what he's going to do, and he was building on the things that the Democrats passed over the last two years when they had control of the state House and the state Senate 
and the executive branch in Virginia, then he would have won. Like if he told people critical race theory is not real, and he focused on that, and he didn't say that parents should not be having a say in what should be taught in schools, like that one line killed him. If he had not said that, he probably would have won. But he did say that. He was stupid enough to say it, and then he did not take it back, and in every single ad I saw, I live in Virginia, ads all over the place, almost every other ad was Terry McAuliffe saying that line, and guess what worked? It was that commercial, not the one that compared Trump to Yunkin. That didn't work at all. Too bad. So, since it was a two-point race, I would say that was probably the decision-maker in a partly blue state. So that's just, I mean, I had to get all that off my chest because the Democrats, the Republicans should not have won the election in Virginia talking about lies, but they did because of the Democrats' incompetence. The Democratic Party has clearly got some major issues because they're having problems passing the infrastructure bills. Oh, hey, they passed the infrastructure bill. Well, they passed one of them. They've now got to get the other one, the Build Back Better bill, out of the Senate. But Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, they won't, oh, too much money! Like, it's ridiculous how they cannot come together to do anything. Because now, people are going to say, oh, Joe Biden, what have you done for me? They don't have any message. It's just Trump, 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 and that didn't work. And you can tell because it's not just Virginia. In New Jersey, which is a state that is bluer than Virginia, the Democrat won by two, three points. Phil Murphy, he was running for re-election. First Democrat to win re-election in New Jersey since the 70s. That's cool. But still, he should have won by more than that. And it is a sure sign that the Democrats, if they don't get their act together, are going to have serious issues ahead of the midterms next year. Because if they get the results like they did in Virginia and New Jersey last week, it's going to be a complete wave. You're going to see what you thought were blue states turn red. Republicans are going to take over the Senate. They're going to take over the House. And then in 2024, we don't know if they're going to allow a Democrat to be inaugurated. Because remember what happened in 2020? They're going to try that again in 2024. So we'll see. Democracy. They didn't put, they didn't focus on that enough. How they tried to steal the election. You could have said that about the Republicans. And I just. So now you've got Republicans running on. The Democrats are trying to defund the police, kill your children, uh, overtake your schools with evil history. And the Democrats cannot find a way to push back on it when it would be the easiest thing in the world. Like, seriously. They're not doing it for some reason. What's their problem? They get into power, and they don't know what to do. That was dumb. Good grief. The issue I have is with the Democratic Party, because right now they're looking pretty incompetent. It's pretty ridiculous. That's what I got for elections. I mean, good. what are they doing? You should have won in Virginia, but you lost because you had a terrible candidate who was getting terrible advice for some reason who just kept yelling Trump, 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 which allowed the Republicans to win, and the party has no idea what it's doing. I mean, good grief. Ridiculous. That's what I got for politics this week, because next we have got college basketball. Our season preview is up next 
Oh boy, we got a lot to talk about. Who's going to win the national championship this year, Xander? Remember, I told you correctly who it was going to be last year before the NCAA tournament. You're about to hear who's going to win the national championship in college basketball in our college basketball season preview. That is right after this as the Xander's Facts podcast continues. Xander's Facts. Xander's Facts, welcome back, y'all. Let's get off of that evil politics topics, because that makes me angry. Let's go to something that makes me happy. College basketball, because can you believe it? We're already in November. The Christmas music is rolling. Ugh. And that means college basketball season is finally here. We're a couple weeks into the NBA season already. And if you haven't heard our NBA season preview, we did a two-parter on that back with Hillbilly a couple weeks ago. Go listen to that. But this is the 2021-2022 college basketball season preview. And last season was just a COVID-filled mess. They had a ton of games that were canceled or got moved around, including an NCAA tournament game that got canceled. And last season was the first since the 1976 NCAA tournament that neither Duke nor Kentucky went to the NCAA tournament. How about that? So this year, we're getting vaccines, everybody is patched up, and college basketball is ready to go. And if you're looking for the best insight on the upcoming season, you have come to the right place, because of course Sanders got all the facts when it comes to college basketball as I will remind you with last season's March Madness predictions. Yeah, okay. Sanders Facts is here to break down the upcoming college basketball season and which teams you need to be watching. So, let's start. Let's do our conference predictions first, the six major conferences in college basketball, and let's start with a conference long known for its basketball superiority, the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, which has since to the year 2000 had nine NCAA tournament championships from its current members, which is the most out of any conference. And last year, the ACC endured a second straight down year as the league's top tournament entries were UVA and Florida State, who were four seeds, while Duke didn't make the tournament for the first time since 1995. So it's clear that the tops of the Big Ten and the Big 12 have surpassed the ACC. But will this year bring a resurgence of history's top basketball conference. Well, this year, you can bet that all the attention's going to be on Duke and their head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, because he announced in the offseason that this will be his final season as Duke's head coach before he retires. But he's got another talented squad that is led by freshman phenom Paolo Banchero, a name to remember this season. Duke's going to be another good team. Another good team should be North Carolina, the other big basketball school in that state. They got a new head coach this season after longtime head coach Roy Williams stepped down. Hubert Davis, his head, his top assistant, is taking over, and Williams left a ton of talent in Chapel Hill, but Davis does have plans to change the offensive system, which could open some questions, but it should be another decent year for Carolina. And those two teams that finished at the top of the conference last season, Florida State and Virginia, they're both going through some roster changes, and they have a ton of questions. Both Florida State and Virginia are losing a ton of talent this year, and both are going to rely on experienced transfers to help bridge that gap between last season and the young guys on their squads this season. Expect both to have down years, but Leonard Hamilton for Florida State, Tony Bennett for UVA coaching, you never know. But UVA's got a ton of questions this year, which is the first time we've said that 
in a while. And a top sleeper pick in the ACC appears to be your boys at Blacksburg, the Hokies of Virginia Tech, who finished third in the regular season in the ACC last year. And they return National Player of the Year candidate Keve Aluma, and they gain a transfer familiar to their head coach Mike Young in Storm Murphy from Wofford. And they have an upper-class-filled team, so don't be surprised to see a jump for the Hokies in Mike Young's third year as coach. Elsewhere, Notre Dame is returning as much experience as anyone in the conference. Louisville is going through off-the-court turmoil that's led into an FBI investigation, another one that could impact the Cardinals' season, while Syracuse is looking to surprise with the Bayheims once again. Miami should make a big jump, and it's probably going to be tough for Georgia Tech and Clemson to get back to the NCAA tournament after losing a ton of production from last season. So overall for the ACC, if the hype surrounding Duke's freshman is real, Virginia and Florida State don't slow down too much, and Carolina and Virginia Tech can continue improving, then the top of the ACC can get right back with the Big Ten and the Big 12. Plus, the conference is so deep, with the middle being as good as any league probably, that anyone could lose to anyone on any given night in the ACC. Love the ACC. And Xander's pick, the popular pick this season, of course, is Duke. But where the experts zig, Xander zags. So Xander's take of the sleeper. How about the Hokies of Virginia Tech who are going to win the ACC this season for the first time in school history? Everyone's saying, Xander, you're biased. Well, I am, but they're also going to win. So sorry about it. Deal with it. That's the ACC. But let's stay on the East Coast for the conference so big into basketball that they don't even sponsor football anymore. It's the Big East. And last year, the top dog in the conference once again was Villanova whose star player Colin Gillespie suffered a season-ending knee injury late in the season that derailed the Wildcats' chances of a title run, but he's back this year, and so is Villanova's status at the top of the Big East. While Nova has a top supporting cast that includes guys like Jermaine Samuels, which has the potential for a Final Four, there are a bunch of questions inside with the loss of last year's Big East Player of the Year, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, This could affect Villanova's national chances, but not their conference ones. But the team that may be best positioned to challenge Villanova at the top may be UConn. Under their head coach Danny Hurley, the Huskies have continued to improve, but lose last season's top scorer James Bonite, so senior RJ Cole should be the one to step up and most of the supporting class returns, so that should bode well for the Huskies in their second year back in the Big East. Xavier returns its top seven scores from a bubble team last season and should look improved. Another team that can make a jump is Seton Hall, while potential Big East Player of the Year Julian Champagny could help St. John's surprise some people. And the team that surprised a ton of people last year was Georgetown, who went 13-13 and but made a run in the Big East Tournament to make it to the NCAA Tournament. But I would expect a team similar to the one that went 500 in the regular season last year, even though the Hoyas have potential Big East Newcomer of the Year, Aminu Muhammad. Plus, Marquette brought in former Texas head coach Shaka Smart from VCU as their new coach, but it might take a while for things to improve up in Wisconsin. And overall, Villanova is still top dog, but there are still a couple quality tournament teams that will make the Big East fun to watch. So Xander's pick, I think Villanova's just going to run away with a league title this season. Give me the Wildcats. Bold move there. That's the Big East. Now let's head over to the Midwest. For the Big 12, the conference that hosts the reigning national champion in Baylor. And the conference has not seen back-to-back national champions since the ACC did it in 2009-2010 with Carolina and Duke. And the Big 12's got a couple of teams 
who would like to be the second of that back-to-back. So, let's start with the reigning champion, Baylor Bears. Now, I'll just say it. Baylor's not going to be as good as they were last year. I'll just say that. They lose their top three scores, as well as two of their top three rebounders from last year. But the Bears will still be respectable, and they should be a good tournament team with players like Matthew Mayer, Adam Flagler, and Jonathan Chamwachachua, who helped last season taking leaps this year. Baylor should be good, not as great as they were last year. But the team making the most buzz this offseason in the Big 12 is Texas. The Longhorns have a new head coach and former Texas Tech head coach, Chris Beard, and he immediately rebuilt the roster, adding six of the top 30 transfers in the country to a team that won the Big 12 tournament last year. Players like Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, Trey Mitchell, they will be names to watch. The talents there, but will they be able to gel together? If the transfer strategy works, watch it be replicated very quickly by the big dogs in college basketball, just like the one and done was. At least it's better than the one and done. I'll just say that. Of course, we can never talk about Big 12 basketball without talking about Kansas. Despite Texas having all those aforementioned transfers, the biggest transfer in the Big 12 might have been Remy Martin coming from Arizona State over to Kansas. He'll be the player to watch during Kansas games this season and could be the reason the Jayhawks get to the Final Four. A solid supporting cast should put the Jayhawks in the conversation for tops in the nation all year long once again. Elsewhere in the Big 12, Oklahoma State no longer has Cade Cunningham, but they won't take a huge step back with 81% of its minutes last year returning. That's a conference best, but they will not be heading to the postseason due to NCAA violations. I don't even know. West Virginia lacks star power, but still has its huggy bear. Plus, both Texas Tech and Oklahoma bring in new coaches in Mark Adams for the Red Raiders and Porter Moser for the Sooners. Yeah, the Porter Moser who took Loyola Chicago to a Final Four, so Oklahoma's going to get good fast. Probably not this year, though. And overall, there's a clear top tier in the Big 12 that can compete with just about anybody. Plus, when West Virginia's about your sixth best team, you've got a good conference. So ultimately, the Big 12 isn't as deep as it has been, but it should still bring a solid five or so tournament teams. And my pick for the conference, I think it's going to come down to Texas and Kansas. Texas is the high-risk but high-reward team. But Kansas is the more sure option. But you know Xander loves risk. So let's go with the Longhorns of Texas to win the Big 12. Another fact. Now let's move up north to the Big 10, the conference that brought a nation-best nine teams to the tournament last season. But none of them made it to the final weekend. So will this be the year that the Big 10 ends its championship drought at 22 years? They haven't won it since Michigan State in 2000. Well, the best shot is Michigan. Under head coach Juwan Howard, the Wolverines have not slowed down on the court and on the recruiting trail. And this year's squad might be even more talented than last year's. Big man center Hunter Dickinson led the team in points, rebounds, and blocks last year. And when he was on the floor last year, Michigan shot 40% from beyond the three-point arc. He returns, and while the Wolverines do lose Isaiah Livers, whose postseason injury might have cost Michigan a Final Four berth last season, they do add five-star recruit Musa Diabite and projected top 10 pick Caleb Houston, along with even more talent in the supporting cast. If Jawan Howard's going to do this thing at Michigan, it's probably going to happen this year. Another top pick in the Big Ten, though, are the Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue didn't make it out of the first round of the NCAA tournament last year, but they returned some serious firepower 
and guard Jaden Ivey is set for a big jump after averaging nearly 15 points and 12 starts last year. Travion Williams led Purdue in points and rebounds last year, and those two should be two of the most talented players in the Big Ten. So if anyone has a chance at overtaking Michigan this year, it is Purdue. Meanwhile, Illinois lost their star guard Ayo Dosunmu to the NBA, but they return their big man Kofi Cokeburn from a popular pick to win it all last year in the tournament that fell in the second round. And they won't be as talented as they were, but they'll still be respectable in the conference. Plus, there were times last season when Ohio State looked like they were the real deal. With top players C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington Jr. leaving, it's time for players like E.J. Lydell to shine, which could give the Buckeyes a spoiler status in the conference this year. And Maryland's also getting some preseason buzz with a couple transfers arriving to help one of the Big Ten's worst offensive teams last season. Indiana hired a new coach and NBA veteran head coach Mike Woodson, and there's some buzz in Bloomington, so there could be a couple upsets for Indiana this year. Plus, it's do-or-die time for Nebraska and their head coach, Fred Hoiberg, and you should never count out Tom Izzo at Michigan State. So overall, the Big Ten top to bottom looks to be the nation's best right now. However, a down year for a couple teams, which could definitely happen, teams like Illinois, could hold the conference back and allow others to fill that void. Despite that, though, the Big Ten has a good chance to bring another major haul to the tournament this season. So, Sanders pick. Michigan's going to be the popular pick. Purdue, the upset pick. I said Ohio State, the sleeper. I think I'll go with the popular pick. I think Michigan just has so much talent. Juwan Howard is a really good coach at Michigan. Michigan is going to win the Big Ten this season. Santa warned you. Out West. Let's go to the Pac-12. The Conference of Champions. Conference of Champions. Bill Walton knows a conference that for years has been at the bottom of the Power Five in football and basketball. But last year, basketball took a huge step forward with the emergence of UCLA and an impressive 13-5 and record for their five teams in the NCAA tournament. And speaking of the Bruins, all the hype is on them this season. They are number two in the preseason AP poll after going all the way down to the buzzer with Gonzaga in the final four. And in that tournament, they were playing in the first four, so they were the, one of the Cinderella teams in that tournament, and they almost got Gonzaga. They almost got him if it wasn't for that Jalen Suggs shot. And from that team last season... The Bruins return their top players, including Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell. They add on five-star recruit Peyton Watson. So there is some reason for some UCLA hype this season. The Bruins certainly have a shot at a record-setting 12th national championship. But elsewhere, in the last 10 seasons, head coach Dana Altman has led Oregon to a top-two Pac-12 finish seven times. It's a fact. Veterans Eric Williams and Will Richardson are going to help a team that finished atop the Pac-12 one year ago. With a couple highly rated freshmen joining a mostly experienced squad, Oregon has the talent and experience to compete at the top with UCLA. For USC, they lost top pick Evan Mobley, but Isaiah Mobley returns along with Drew Peterson, Isaiah White, and transfer Boogie Ellis, which should make the Trojans a team to watch. Washington State is continuing to improve with their head coach Kyle Smith in his third year. Arizona State's offensive revamp is going to be something to watch. 
and Colorado is looking to improve off its third-place finish last season. Plus, Oregon State had that Cinderella run in the tournament. They're looking to build off that, while Arizona is probably going to go through some growing pains after they finally got rid of that scandal-ridden head coach, Sean Miller. So overall, the bottom of the conference still has a long way to go, but the top of the Pac-12 features some of the best teams I think you're going to see all season. So while most people are going to pick UCLA, I think that UCLA is going to come out struggling with all eyes watching early in the season, especially in the first week. They have a matchup with Villanova, which is a top five matchup. In the end, I think Oregon is going to do just enough to come out of the Pac-12. Give me the ducks, Oregon. Cool facts, bro. In the SEC, the final conference, let's head down south. It was a strange year. Kentucky missed out on the tournament while Alabama and Arkansas surged to the top of the conference. And speaking of Kentucky, this year's squad is back in the conversation of contenders, and rightfully so, because after last year's 9-16 and disaster, John Calipari, their head coach, has completely ruled the roster with names such as Ty Ty Washington and Damian Collins, ones to watch in Lexington. And while the talent may not match up with others at the top or even past Kentucky teams, the Wildcats are incredibly deep. They've got eight or nine potential starting caliber players. This is not one of Calipari's best squads at Kentucky, but it's certainly an improvement over where they were last season. And the SEC has four other preseason ranked teams, with last season's darlings Alabama and Arkansas leading the bunch. And the name to watch for Alabama is Javon Quinterly, who went 43.3% from three-point range last season. In any case, the Crimson Tide should compete at the top of the conference once again, while Arkansas returns breakout star Devontae Davis and brings in three highly touted transfers to a team that is neck-and-neck with Kentucky and Alabama at the top of the talent pool in the conference. Plus, Auburn returns Alan Flanagan and Wendell Green Jr. and brings in potential conference newcomer of the year, Jabari Smith, to a team that could be dangerous when it is healthy. And Tennessee has a lot of young talent led by freshman Kennedy Chandler, but it probably isn't enough to compete at the top of the SEC. And elsewhere, Vanderbilt has one of the league's best players in Scotty Pippen Jr., Mississippi State brings in a boatload of transfers, including Garrison Brooks from North Carolina and Rocket Watts from Michigan State. And Florida and LSU have some nice pieces to make some games interesting with the big dogs this season. So overall, the SEC is deep once again. And while I wouldn't consider any league members real championship contenders, there's a bunch of teams in that next tier. Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn. They should all be really good. Kentucky's going to be the hot pick. But I'll stay away. So with a boatload of good choices, I think I will take Arkansas, the Razorbacks, I believe, and head coach Eric Musselman's ability to put it all together. And I think Arkansas has the best shot at a deep run in the tournament. It's all true. Now, those are the six conferences. But let's go to our mid-majors to watch. Because before we get to our season-long predictions, let's take a look at some teams outside the power conferences that you're going to want to keep your eyes on, like Gonzaga. Of course, we have to mention last season's runner-ups. Even while they lost Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy returns along with the emergence of top-ranked recruit Chet Holmgren, remember that name, NBA fans, and adding on Andrew Nemhard, Hunter Salas, and a bunch of other experienced names. This is one of the deepest teams in the country once again, and make no mistake about it. 
Gonzaga's will be right back at the top of the championship candidates once again this season. Elsewhere, the hype train is boarding once again for Memphis this offseason, and whether it's going to be worthy of leaving the station this time is a major question, but head coach Penny Hardaway has a talented squad that won the NIT last season and brings in big names in Imani Bates and Jalen Duran. The big issue last season was turnovers, so if they can get cleaned up on turnovers, then Memphis has a serious shot at a deep tournament run. Also in the American Conference, Houston made a surprise one into the Final Four last season, their first since 1984, and is looking to find a way to get back. While they probably won't get that far, their head coach Kelvin Sampson has built the Cougars into a consistent second weekend program, and the only other mid-major to be ranked in the preseason are the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies return all five of their starters from a year ago, and some aggressive defense with some early season opportunities could definitely put them in position for a high tournament seed. While Gonzaga should probably sweep up in the West Coast Conference, watch out for BYU in there as well. Plus, Colorado State's a popular name in the Mountain West, and don't be surprised to hear about Georgia State, San Diego State, or Belmont either this season. So those are all the teams you got to watch out for. But let's go to our season-long predictions. So without further ado, let's get the Xander's Final Four predictions for the upcoming college basketball season. But let's remind you who I had for my regular season champions. So ACC, I had Virginia Tech, Big East Villanova, Big 12 Texas, Big 10 Michigan, Pac-12 Oregon, and the SEC, I had Arkansas. So now, big fact incoming for the moment you've all been waiting for: Sanders Final Four picks. And last year, I only predicted one Final Four team correctly, but it was the national champion. So I might want to listen up. Now, of course, this could go a million different ways because of seeding, and these teams could be grouped together in the same bracket. But we're just going to do this anyways. For the Final Four, I've got the four teams being. Are you ready? No. Gonzaga, Texas. Arkansas, and Michigan. And the team winning it all? The Arkansas Razorbacks. Woo, Big C! That's blasphemy. There you go. Arkansas is going to win the championship this year. There it is. Zan Durs Facts. And there you have it. That is everything you need to know for the 2021-22 college basketball season. I know I am super excited to watch. I've been waiting for college basketball. It's finally here. It's going to be amazing. I'm super excited. And there's going to be a ton of great games to watch over the next few months, including this week. I've got my games to watch for this week on social media right now. So go check that out. Xander's Facts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'll be posting those every Monday throughout the season. Tell me, tell me. So the college basketball season tipped off Last night, Tuesday, November 9th, it was the Champions Classic, so you missed it. But there's going to be a ton more matchups this season. We're going all the way until the National Championship game on Monday, April 4th in Nolens. So there you go. That's college basketball. But before we go on this podcast, I just got to remind you about your country. Hold on. The U.S. men's national team. They continue on World Cup qualifiers this week. On Friday of this week, they host Mexico in Cincinnati at 9 o'clock. That game's on ESPN2. And then on Tuesday, November 16th, next week, the U.S. goes on the road to take on Jamaica at 5 o'clock. That game is on Paramount+. Plus. So these are the only two qualifying matches that are in this international window, but it does include a big one against 
Mexico. And right now, Mexico is atop the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying standings with 14 points. But the U.S. is in second, right behind them with 11 points. And Canada is in third with 10 points. And the top three teams go to Qatar next year for the World Cup. So that is also happening this week. And that is a wrap on this week's edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Holy cow, we talked about a ton of stuff. Aaron Rodgers is being a dummy. Democrats are being total dummies as well. But college basketball is not being dumb because you all know who's going to win the national championship this year. Woo, pig, suey. That's all I got to say. That's what we've got on this week's edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you want to support the Xander's Facts Podcast, click that follow button, download button, rate, review. Go on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Xander's Facts, that Xander with a Z, and most importantly, tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts podcast. Spreading the facts is what we call it around here. And remember, go on the social medias. You'll find this week's football picks. Those will be posted on Thursday morning. You will not want to miss those. So that is a wrap on episode 40 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 41 next week. Dad, Xander's spreading lies.